0: And our scripture today is out of 2 Kings 5, 1 through 14, uniquely read in the message version per request, um, read by Brandy Gunn. And in honor of God's word, please stand. Listen as I read. Naaman was general of the army under the king of Aram. He was important to his master who held him in the highest esteem because it was by him that God had given victory to Aram, a truly great man, but afflicted with a grievous skin disease. It so happened that Aram, on one of its raiding expeditions against Israel, captured a young girl who became a maid to Naaman's wife. One day she said to her mistress, Oh, if only my master could meet the prophet of Samaria, he would be healed of his skin disease. Naaman went straight to his master and reported what the girl from Israel had said. Well, then go, said the king of Aram, and I'll send a letter of introduction to the king of Israel. So he went off, taking with him about 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothes. Naaman delivered the letter to the king of Israel. The letter read, When you get this letter, you'll know that I've personally sent my servant Naaman to you. Heal him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he was terribly upset, ripping his robe to pieces. He said, Am I a god with the power to bring life or death that I get orders to heal this man from his disease? What's going on here? That king's trying to pick a fight, that's what. Elisha, the man of God, heard what had happened, that the king of Israel was so distressed that he'd ripped his robe to shreds. He sent word to the king, why are you so upset ripping your robe like this? Send him to me so he'll learn there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman, with his horses and chariots, arrived in style and stopped at Elisha's door. Elisha sent out a servant to meet him with this message, go to the river Jordan and immerse yourself seven times. Your skin will be healed, and you'll be good as new. Naaman lost his temper. He spun around, saying, I thought he'd personally come out and meet me, call in the name of God, wave his hand over the diseased spot, and get rid of the disease. The Damascus rivers, Abana, and Farpar are cleaner by far than any of the rivers in Israel. Why not bathe in them? I'd at least get clean. He stomped off, mad as a hornet. But his servants caught up with him and said, Father, If the prophet had asked you to do something hard and heroic, wouldn't you have done it? So why not this simple wash and be clean? So he did it. He went down and immersed himself in the Jordan seven times, following the orders of the holy man. His skin was healed. It was like the skin of a little baby. He was as good as new. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I'm uh, glad to be here and delighted. Um, Just want to mention a few reasons why I love this church. It's uh, Kevin and Jennifer. I had no idea we were taking over today, though. um, (laughs) And Elodie and Brindley and how much you love them so. When I was a youth pastor back in Livonia, Michigan, uh, I remember once a girl in our youth group invited another girl who didn't go to church to come with her. And that girl's name was Kim. And uh, that's another reason we're in love, because your pastor's wife, my wife and I, got to be her youth pastor and discipler, and then she uh, grew up in the Lord, went off to Bible College, and met Matthew. And we are delighted to have those kind of connections between the two places. I just want to mention something. I am leaving on a Saturday for uh, Guatemala. This will be my night time into the country there, been there quite a few times, and um, I went there uh, six years ago, and it was up in a town called Coralate, and, and this is a, a good example of, like, pay attention, because what you may be doing is not what should be done. And I had taken, along with some other people here in Traverse City, a medical team into Guatemala, and we were walking around, and then I got a tour from a, followed by the name of Air Bear, he's a, a Mayan, and he said, come over and see this building, Tim. And it was an abandoned sugarcane building, farm place, and he said, wouldn't it be cool to have a clinic in there? And we opened up the door and the whole bottom, and don't mean to be gross, the whole bottom of the building was filled with bat poop and there's bats flying all over and it needed a roof and there was no electricity. It said we could have a medical clinic right here. And I'm thinking, ah, <laughs> this is the stuff of a nightmare. And I I went on to San Mojave de Seuss and their um, I was standing there and this young man was standing beside me and we have these doctors and these nurses and he starts weeping and he said, wouldn't it be good on this ground over here if we built a nursing school and had our own nurses? Wouldn't that be cool? Well, as God has worked, there is a clinic in Coralate with three offices. An, an ultrasound machine, bathrooms that flush. If You have to be there to understand what I'm saying. Anyway, Ed, it's own water system. It has a pharmacy in it and a pharmacist that works there. I remember them saying to us at the, the clinic that we want to build a house out back because we're going to hire a lady doctor and she's going to come and run this place. I'm like, sure, there'll be somebody who'll do that. And there's a house out back, and Ingrid works there. Anyway, Ed, They had that kind of faith, and up in San Marjitosos, I'll be going back, because it'll be the grand opening of Nueva Esperanza, the nursing school in San Marjitosos. There's already training students. You know what? Don't ever let your vision be limited by what you see, by what you see. So I am so thankful to be here. I wanted this passage. When Matt asked me to preach, I'm like, oh. I thought of only one passage, and, it's, and, uh, and I read it and I read it, and I said, oh, God, this is the passage you want me to tell from. First of all, I'm going to do the easy applications, the ones you're expecting from this passage, and then I'm going to go to the ones that we should actually really look at sometimes that we sometimes run right past. The easy applications from this story, which we love, is, first of all, no matter how powerful we are, we're vulnerable. Nahum was this like general from Syria. He'd been overrating. He'd been a man of victory. The Bible does say that God gave him the victory. God had allowed him to have the victory. But you know what? We're all just humans, aren't we? Flesh and blood. Without God, this life breaks us all. Every one of us are going to face our sorrows. Every one of us are going to face our brokenness. Every one of us is going to have that phone call with that cancer diagnosis or that terrible thing that's going to happen. This life is difficult. It breaks us all. It doesn't matter how powerful you are, how much you think you've got it together. We're all going down apart from God. That was a fun application. (laughs) Names problem. That's another easy application, leprosy. I had gone on a trip uh, to Nepal, and I was up in uh, Kathmandu on my way to the eastern Himalayans, and I was in there, and I came across a, uh, a leper, a beggar. By the way, no one has to tell you when you come across a person with leprosy that they have leprosy. You know it. You can diagnose it. Right on the spot, I remember walking up to this individual in that crazy town of Kathmandu, and worth all of its giant Hindu temples. And this person on the corner begging, and I could smell him before I could see him. And then when I got up to him, I could see the white spots, and the wounds, and the nerve damage that was destroying his life. Leprosy is a great picture of our sin. We are all wretched because of our sin. We're all helpless without Christ. After Christ, we can sing, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. One of my favorite verses, though I'm done with snow, it says, come, let us reason together. Though our sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Apart from God, the sin that is part of every one of our lives. For all is sin and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all wiped out. And Nahum's a perfect example of that. Powerful and mighty and being destroyed by leprosy and by sin. Another easy application is pride can make us miss our miracle. Man, Nahum was like, What? He gets there. He has all this money. He has this chariot. He comes up to Elijah's place. And what does Elijah do? He sends out his servant, right? He doesn't even come out to talk with him. Uh, You know, and Am's going like, oh, come on. Come out, you know. And then he tells him to go dunk in the River Jordan. By the way, I have to tell this story because my wife is here. I got asked to lead a trip to Israel. I was in Israel with my wife, right? And un- unusually speaking, it had been raining and raining and raining in Israel, right? So, uh, and like every little like river or waterfalls or stuff that we take, we're, we're roaring. <laughs> this comes into play. So we decided to get baptized in the River Jordan. And I, I'm the pastor leading the trip, and I baptize everybody, and but I'm... Fearful of the torrent going by me. <laughs> right the Jordan. So who did I lose? My wife. But we did rescue you. And she was floating off. Come back, sweetheart. And <laughs> you know what? Going along with that is this. God refuses to work according to your expectations. Let me say that again. God refuses to work according to your expectations. Yeah. Did you hear it, name? Like, hey, I would have liked this. Why didn't the prophet Elijah come out and wave his hand and go abracadabra? And the epilepsy is gone, right? Kind of foolhardy. But that's what he wanted. I, I, I would like you to do it my way. My way. What are you missing out on because you refuse to let God handle it his way? You say, God! I want my family to be my way I want uh, I want this life to be my way I want things to work out my way I, I I want the answer to be according to what I want God right when God doesn't seem to do that you notice in the New Testament not a single miracle is the same one moment he's putting mud over people's eyes another person he's he's telling them oh You will just send in off and pray, and they're going to be healed. Everyone is different. You know why? Because we're all idolatry worshipers, and we worship the method and not what God does. God is about doing something different every time. When I was in college, I would hear all these kids pray, and they would get their bills paid by some mysterious person that would pay off their Bible college bill. And I prayed, and God never did that. So I had to take a job. And I paid off my college bill that way. But I look back to those years of working full-time and going to college full-time is one of the best trainings for my life as a pastor. I worked in a pig farm. <laughs> Won't get into the stories. Anyway, I worked as a juvenile delinquent officer. And I worked as, um, in a construction crew, all important for my future as a pastor. Another easy lesson, listen to humble people. Let me read 2 Kings 5.13 to you again. My father, these servants said, if the prophet would have told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? Like, go up to the top of Mount Everest. You know, kayak the Grand Canyon. He might not have known about those places anyway, but do something amazing, and at the end of it, you're all, you know, you're healed. How much more then? He tells you, wash and be clean. Listen to humble people. In my life, I've had very many humble, beautiful people. I was raised with a a cousin by the name of Scotty. Sorry, I didn't mean to cry, but Scotty died this year. He was a year younger to me, and uh, he was what we'd call special needs from the get go. But I learned more of God from him than from any Bible professor I've ever had. God has continued to do that in my life, where so many precious people. Uh, that have continued to teach me to be humble and be like a child in my faith. Now, for the hard lessons I want to bring up. Let's look at the little girl. It's easy to run past her. It's easy to just jump right to Naam and Elijah and not see the little girl that goes to her slave owner mom and says, "Oh, there's an answer back in a lot with, called Elijah." Let's look at the tough lesson. Let's say it clearly. Naam was a slave trader. He had trafficked this little girl. He was going off on a raid with his group of soldiers, and his wife had probably said to him, hey, I need some more help in the kitchen. While you're there, why don't you just grab one of them? I could use a little girl to come back and be a slave in my kitchen. Let's not jump over what we're looking at in this passage. And that's exactly what happened. When I was in Uganda, and I have to tell this story, I've been to Uganda twice. Well, you know, uh, uh, and I was up in um, Sita. And I, there was a large orphanage we were working in. And I don't know if you're familiar with Joseph Coney and the Lord's army and all that evil stuff. And it, Joseph Coney was famous for trafficking young warriors. He would put, give them drugs, and, and they would go out. And, and there was a terrible civil war that occurred. And there's giant orphanages over there. And it was in one of those that we were helping out in. And the, the second time I was in, I was made friends with a, a young girl by the name of Christine. And I don't want to tell the whole story. But Christine had lived up near the Sedan border, and when the Lord's army had come across to invade, and by the way, they had nothing to do with the Lord, okay? That's just what they called themselves. Her whole family was killed off, and they had stripped her naked and sent her into the outback of Uganda to die. And she was found by a woman who took her to her house, And kept her in her backyard and made her into a slave, working in her garden and taking care of her stuff. And then she told this story. Her name was Betty. I met Betty. Betty stands about a foot taller than me and a little bit wider. Put a helmet on Betty's head, she was a Ugandan lady, and you have a linebacker that the other linebackers in America would be afraid of. Anyway, this was a large, strong, powerful woman, and she had a team of women who did slave rescue over in Uganda. And they would burst into houses where people were holding slaves. Now, slave, it's illegal to have slaves in Uganda, but nobody does anything about it. So Betty decided to do something about it, right? And Christine told me this story about how Betty and her friends came into the house, read the law to this woman, and said, You give me that girl. And that's what happened. I would have given her, yeah, right? She's yours. I actually heard songs about Betty. One of the things I love about Ugandans is they sing about anything and everything, and they make up their own songs, and they say it songs about Betty. To me, Betty is a type of Christ. This woman who came to set the captives free, went into where they're being slaved, busted the place open, took care of the situation, brought the girl back, gave her an education, Gave her a hope, gave her a future. Now, that's a beautiful. I want somebody to come into Nam's life and bust him apart, right? Break open the doors and say, what you're doing is wrong. You slave trader. You raider of Israel. But that's not what happened, right? They say something weird. He started to giggle. It says, instead, let me picture it like this. I imagine it like this. This little girl in a little village in the middle of nowhere suddenly begins to hear screams and hollers. You see Syrians on horseback and in chariots raid into the town." Right. She's trying to run to her mom, but it's too late. Some big soldier grabs her, carries her over to the guy that's just standing there watching it all happen. He lifts her up before this guy and says, well, "Will this one work?" And this looks good. She's bound and thrown in back of the chariot. And off to Syria she goes. Like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How did this little girl not hate? How did this little girl keep her faith? By the way, we as Christians don't believe in karmas, right? We don't believe in karma. That's something the Hindus believe in. We don't believe that. We do know that whatever man sows, he's going to reap that, but that is apart from the grace of God. We all know that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we've all participated in the sin market of this life. Karma would say, "Name, get what you deserve. May leprosy kill you, In an awful slow way. And I am thankful that I didn't get what I deserved in this life. Instead it goes like this. These servants say to Naam, come on boss. What are you thinking? Go in the river Jordan and get baptized. Name's going, no, no, I don't want to do it. You know, and he goes down once, and look, he gets back up, and he goes, look, nothing has happened. He goes down twice. Look, nothing has happened. He goes down three times. Oh, I'm going to go get that Elijah guy. Goes down four times. He's still mad. And he goes down five times, madder and everything, right? Goes down six times. He goes, this is really, and the guys are going, one more time, one more time, right? Down he goes again, and he comes up, and he's like, oh. Now tell me, why does this guy deserve a miracle? But then explain to me, why do I deserve salvation? We as Christians live outside the realm of fairness and into the territory of grace. And I'm so thankful for it. Let's look at the little girl. This is my guesses. Despite the circumstances that she lived on, she never forgot her faith. This household, we learn later on, is he talks about how he worshiped and he's no longer going to do that unless he's with the boss man, right? He takes back a couple loads of dirt from Judah to worship on. How did she keep her Elohim first? The little girl was like the prophet Jeremiah. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. That was a terrible thing going on there. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never, what? Ceases. His mercies are new every morning. She remembered, remembered, remembered. And do not get amnesia about what God's done in your life. Do not forget your, the day that you accepted the Lord. Do not forget your answers to prayer. Satan wants you to forget. No matter what is happening, what is going on in your life, do not forget. And somehow this little girl did not forget. She remembered. Now, this is an argument <laughs> that I don't have a lot of proof, but I'm very comfortable doing stuff like that. Anyway, and I believe she had a community. Naam had been raiding what? Israel. Where were all the slaves from? You know those other guys? Maybe when they heard they were going to Israel to see the prophet Elijah, they were going home. They were going to go see the one the prophet that represented their one and only God. Maybe, there were, maybe those guys that said, hey, boss, this is the answer, really knew it was the answer. Maybe these were men of faith. Maybe there was a community of slaves from Israel. By the way, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were royalty, right? They were taken back. They were the best of the best. Maybe these people were the everyday blue-collar people who never forgot their faith in captivity. Maybe she had a community. That's a beautiful thought that rings through my mind. Maybe there were some other people that when she showed up, came to her and said, come with us. We worship God here. Join our community by the way, one of the ways I overcome the pains and the sorrows of this life, and trust me, there's one thing I relate to about Jesus. is It's described in Isaiah 53, that he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I feel that way in what I do. But I have my community. She refused to hate. Jesus said, and this is, I want to be like Matt here, I'm going to run to the cross. I'm going to run to Jesus. Jesus said, but I say to you, love. That is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those that persecute you. When she saw the pain that the lady of the house had for her husband, her tender little heart, was turned to mercy. Blessed are what? The merciful. Because they will show retain What? Mercy. It's the one gift that comes back. We don't have the option as Christians to be haters. We don't. I, I can say anything I want because I want, can't get fired from here, right? <laughs> you don't have the option to hate Democrats or Republicans. You don't have the right to cancel anybody for any viewpoint. You don't have the right to be prejudiced. It's not an option given in the Bible. You have no enemy, none, except for the evil one. Think about that person that's hurt you the most. It could be an ex, and rightfully so, their pain you've taken to God. It it could be a boss that fired you, or a pastor that wounded you, or whatever it might be. We forgive as what? Christ forgave us, we don't get that option to hate because we have given the option to love. I'm going to read a John Piper quote. The key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. You get the power to show mercy from the real feelings in your heart that you owe everything you are and have to to a sheer divine mercy. Brooker T. Washington wrote, I shall allow no man to belittle my soul by making me hate him. Neil Anderson wrote, Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. This little girl gave up the good information to the slave trader. that had destroyed her community, enslaved her, that left death and darkness on where she was, and took her away, and he became a believer. If You read this passage, right? So I want to conclude with this story, which I've been deeply touched by. I actually heard this woman speak in person when I was a little child, and I was stunned by it. Corey Ten Boom, you've all heard of her, right? The Hiding Place. Um, What a story. There's a new documentary out on Prime. You ought to go all watch it. It's awesome. But in it, I want to read a story from you. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. She went back. It was truth that needed most to hear in this bitter, bombed out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that when we're forgiven, sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There was never questions about after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected the wraps, and in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next the blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back to me with a rush, this huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been in guard at Ravensburg, concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fräulein, how good it is to know that, uh, as you say, all sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled my, in my pocketbook rather than to take the hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Raisenberg in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, for all again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I, whose sins, have every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in this place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been many seconds but. That He stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed ours, as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that the message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained infidels. It was simple and as horrible as that. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I know that, too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and I will, can function regardless of the temperament of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feelings. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing back tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. We're going to have communion. I just want to mention something. I grew up as the the son of a Baptist minister, so I remember communion. Done communion in this church. You know, Kim and I were members here way back in the day at Emmanuel Baptist when we were first married and I was the program director at Lake Ann. We would say something to this effect. Let a man examine himself. See if you're worthy to take communion. I was one rebellious teenager. I would examine myself and go, nope. <laughs> oh, that fight with Joey. Those people they cussed out. I had a litany of problems when it came to communion. Communion was a rough place. And into my adulthood, I could still see it. I'd become a minister, but I'm like, oh, still my heart is not right. Filled with brokenness and jealousy. and Oh, my goodness. Till one day I was preparing communion for my church. And the Lord told me, you look at it all wrong. There's one place in life where you look at communion like you're God. Instead of the sinful person that you are. Let a man examine himself. And see if he's worthy. Nope. 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 So let you examine yourself. You know what? I conclude every time I take communion. I need a savior. I've yet to arrive. Thank you, Lord. I receive your forgiveness again. We're going to go to communion. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would let us examine ourselves and see that apart from your blood, In your broken body, we're bound for hell. Our resume for eternity, it doesn't get us into the train station. We're hopeless and broken, but it all changed the day that we accepted you. In your name, amen.